Hey everyone, this is Dave Korsunsky from Data Driven Health Radio. On this show, we look at how individuals are empowering themselves and using data to transform the way they manage their health. We interview the health experts and the scientists that will help you understand and interpret the data. We speak with the entrepreneurs who are building the tools and the technology that are allowing us to quantify our health in novel and powerful ways. And most importantly, we speak to the individuals who are beating the odds on everything from cancer to diabetes to weight loss and general health and wellness. This show is brought to you by Aura. They make a state-of-the-art ring that can track sleep cycle analysis, activity, and recovery. You can learn more about this product at headsuphealth.com Aura. That's O-U-R-A. This show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Keto Mojo. They are making a highly accurate and highly affordable device for testing blood sugar and blood ketones. Check it out at headsuphealth.com slash ketomojo. And lastly, the show is brought to you by Level. They are making a clinical-grade breath ketone analyzer, which measures your level of fat burning and ketosis through a simple breath. You can learn more at headsuphealth.com slash level. That's L-E-V-L. All of these amazing products are integrated with Heads Up Health. They all allow you to quantify your health in novel and powerful ways. So check them out. Thank you to our sponsors. Welcome to our show, and let's get into it. Welcome to Data Driven Health Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. This is Dave Korsunsky. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with the lovely and talented Carol Freeman. And she is also known as Keto Carol. I was on her YouTube series several months ago, Keto Chat, which is awesome. You can find all of Carol's videos there. And we're going to talk about a top, uh, an area that I think is underappreciated. I don't think it gets as much attention as it needs to. And it really is going to focus around the psychology of eating and craving and behavior change. And I saw Carol present this topic at KetoCon last year, and I just thought it was awesome. I think it's information that people need to hear. So thank you for joining us, Carol, and just give us a brief hello and an intro about your work. Well, hello, Dave. Yes, nice hello. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm a credentialed healthcare provider. Um, a lot of people out there doing the keto work, you know, or coaches or whatever, but I'm officially, you know, I spent, you know, $100,000 plus uh, getting my education. So I have undergrad nutrition as well as a double master's in nutrition and psychology. And Deep dive nerdy. We didn't know you yeah. were that nerdy, Carol. Yes, yes. <laughs> didn't? No, right. you've been holding out. Stuff every time, yeah. yeah. So passionate about the intersection of brain and nutrition. So both how what we eat affects our what we think and our mental health, but then also how our brain dictates what we eat as well. So the degree that I have, the double master's, is the only one I know in the world that, that is combined both together. That's and so it's essential. Like my dream is, degree, so. Yeah, that is incredibly essential, is understanding reward circuitry in the brain, 
how that is related to food and I think it can help a lot of people. So that's just awesome. That, that area of specialization, probably why you're in such high demand as a coach. I just think it's an incredible way to bring that together. Anecdotally, I did a similar study program where they looked at the neuropsychology of the workplace. And so this was training I did when I was in the corporate world leading big teams and they helped you actually look at fMRI studies associated with dynamics in the workplace and for example they would show that emotional pain and pleasure are biologically identical to physical pain and pleasure mm-hmm. in the brain yep. yep so similar threads just different application now for those who don't know Carol and I met last year at paleo FX and we were at this after party and uh, got totally shit-faced. And I'm like, who is this, who, who is this Carol person? No, we, I walked up to you. You had your name tag on. Yeah. And I said, Dave Krasinski. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, I know your name from the ads on, that Jimmy was running on this podcast for you. Yeah, that's right. Well, the problem was we were at that party and the Dry Farm Wines was just flowing as fast as you could drink it. So they were really enabling everybody. Steak and lobster and... uh, Oh my goodness. The food was amazing. The wine was amazing. So we had a pretty good buzz going when we first met. (laughs) (laughs) And that started off what has been a beautiful friendship ever since. Yes, yeah. Yes. So I understand you won't be back at Paleo FX this year, but you will be at KeoCon. Is that correct? Well, both of those, I haven't solidified those. I'm, I'm going to be definitely at Low Carb USA in San Diego. Cool. I'm going on the Low Carb Cruise the end of May, and I'm going to Ancestral Health Symposium. I'm doing a poster presentation. I saw you got your, your talk accepted there. That's awesome. Yeah, I get a poster presentation. So it's, it's, I think it's actually harder than a talk because you have to put all your material on one poster board. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get like a minute to explain all I, of it. I would fail that, that task <laughs> epically. So good luck with that one. So let's dive into this incredibly important topic. And and you're working with clients. Many of them are very, very insulin resistant, getting into later later stages of life and perhaps starting to look at the ketogenic way of of living as, as a therapeutic intervention. So you're working with challenging cases and you're working with individuals who have struggled with 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 food choices and and eating arguably for their entire life there are undertones there of addiction especially when you start looking at the research around sugar and how it's being acknowledged now in the dsm-5 as addictive no no different than cigarettes so you're working with a lot of these challenging cases and you've seen firsthand and worked firsthand with people and is that what led you to develop the content you presented at, at KetoCon, which is around your best practices, first of all, and then starting to look at the psychology and the craving aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, the, you're talking about the people that I work with. So, you know, the primary group of people that I'm working with in my work is middle-aged women that have dieted for decades. They've tried every diet under the sun, and they've, they've tried keto a little bit on their own and they've got this glimpse that like, this is actually, it could be a long-term solution for me. So they're, mm-hmm. they're wise enough to know they're not looking for a quick fix, lose, lose weight and then go back to whatever they're eating. They're actually looking at a sustainable way of, of eating. And, and most of them do have some kind of diseases diagnosed and or just a lot of symptoms that are coming up that, you know, we get, they, they get lumped into the group of like, well, it's just a normal part of getting older is having stiff, icky joints and headaches and no energy all day long. But it turns out that they aren't. So that's who I'm working with. Um, my passion, gosh, 
I mean, it's just been, I mean, forever, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted people to just feel really great about themselves. Yeah. And probably like a lot of women, my passion for nutrition came about like late in high school when we mm -hmm. all start going on diets and trying to yep. lose weight. And I always wanted to figure out that puzzle of, uh, you know, what helps. And then, you know, from dieting, then I moved into what helps the body be really healthy. And, you know, it's a long story of my own health journeys over the years and things like that. But um, I really, you know, I've always had a passion about psychology and nutrition and just marrying both of those together. And I realized that if you don't address the psychology of addiction and cravings and habit change, that it doesn't matter what diet you follow. If you can't stick with it forever, um, you're just always going to gain the weight back, right? So um, there's a lot of factors that play into whether somebody can stick with the diet or not. And and uh, we can we can name off a bunch of those if you want, or I don't know which direction you want to. Let, let's start with just let's just start with the the biology of craving, what that is, and what it is in the brain, and then maybe we can from there expand onto how we can use this information in in the context of ketogenic, why it works better than traditional approaches. But let's just start with the biological basis of craving and also reward in the brain. Yeah, so I'm going to credit one of my mentors, uh, Stefan Guillenet. He was very influential when I was in school. I read his blog, everything I get. So he was a neuroscience researcher. What was his name? Stefan Guillenet. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I can spell it for you later, but uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get we'll get it in there in the show notes. Yeah. So cool. he is not a, a keto diet fan per se. He um, yep. he's a neuroscience um, researcher and um, the neurology of obesity or the you know the neuro neurology of eating behaviors that influence obesity is kind of his area of expertise right and so I kept up at all of his blogs and all of his research through school and I've had the pleasure of actually interviewing here right here on in here he happens to live in the Seattle area awesome and um it's just is that on keto chat was that a keto yeah. chat Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll find that one. That was probably cool. So he's looking at the, let's call it the neuropsychology of obesity. Is that a good way to think yeah, about yeah. it? Yeah, I think I, I know he's got a phrase for it, which escapes me right now. But yeah. so the way that he's explained it to me is that, um, you know, uh, our brain learns things with dopamine. Correct. And so if we do anything that enhances the survival of our being, so that's eating, uh, sex, uh, you know, and other, you know, sun exposure and, you know, connection with other humans and, and things like that, we yep. get a little dopamine reward. And now my talk at KetoCon, I talked about dopamine, dopamine being like a Scooby snack. So yeah. any of you remember the show, um, uh, Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo, yeah. Oh, classic. <laughs> um, every yeah. time, every time Shaggy would give him, you know, hey, Scooby, will you do yeah. this thing? And he's like, I don't want to do that. He's like, I'll yeah. give you a Scooby snack if you eat yeah. it. Yeah. Or if you go do that thing and he's like, okay, I'll do it. So yeah. uh, dopamine to our brain is just like a Scooby stack to Scooby yeah. was. And so mm -hmm. every time you do something that, you know, basically keeps us alive as a human, our, our brain gives us a little dopamine reward for that. And the way he explained it as well is that um, you start getting the dopamine reward. So the way your brain remembers things, right? So we think back a long time ago when we didn't have grocery stores and we had to go and forage for our own food the brain would do its best to remember where that food was in the wild so you could find it again. Yeah, triggers. Your brain will trigger dopamine when you get into the proximity of that reward. Yeah. Even before yeah, so you've eaten said reward, it, it, it's like a, like a beacon. Like, hey, you found exactly. something good here last time. Go look again. Yeah, and it not only remembers that thing, 
but it remembers the whole context of it that it was in as well. Oh, and so, the contextual details. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. this, like, all the sensory input is is what your body, your brain remembers, and so it yep. could be the smell of the area, the location, the time of day, um, you know, how you were feeling, and so yep. the way that translates today is that you know our habit loops happen. So, for example, let's say somebody like they always get home from work, and after work. They go and sit on the couch and they watch TV and they eat, eat these carby snacks or they drink wine or whatever they always do. And they always sit in mm -hmm. the same spot on the couch. And so a lot of times when people embark on a ketogenic diet, they have situations that make it really, really hard. That they have Habits, habits that are deeply ingrained and in, in, yeah. in now become subconscious. Now they've moved into like that part of the brain that is just autopilot, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what... Dopamine's job is to put those things on autopilot so we, yeah. we can put our focus and uh, mental attention on things that are more emergent and, and uh, you know, stressors that are coming in at us. So let's bring that back to like specific examples now with people. I guess you're, you're working with clients and these are things that come up. You're, 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 you're helping them identify these triggers, let's just call them these habits. Yeah. And, and then you're helping to educate them on like understanding it, if someone had no knowledge and you explained that to them, then they have the awareness now. And then the next time they sit in that couch, you're like, oh, my brain is programmed this way. And now they have an, an opportunity to make a different decision. Well, in that moment, when you're already in that habit loop, yep. biology and that dopamine drive is more powerful usually than willpower and choices. Sure. So it's, it's the same thing why like somebody can be clean and sober off of drugs for a long time mm -hmm. and then they find themselves back in that same alley that they always used in or that same house that they always sure. used in and all of a sudden they're using again. They're like, how did this happen to me? So yep. in that drive, in that dopamine you know, pattern, that, that habit loop, it's almost impossible to resist. I mean, the knowledge is one piece. You can recognize it, but the real power comes in noticing that entire habit loop and you know circumventing it before it even starts yep so you've got to figure out so maybe it starts when you sit on the couch and then you get yeah. the craving but maybe it also starts with you know i've had clients in the past that it was like their drive home from work was always past these fast food places that they stopped at yeah so that's a tough one yeah, so it might be that they've got to drive a different way home. Even if it's a longer route, they might have to take a different route home so that they circumvent that whole loop from even That's happening. amazing, though, because you're helping yeah. people see that, hey, this is what's going on in your brain. You've got these conditioned patterns. Yeah. And, and here's a strategy we can use. Temp maybe it's temporarily. But yeah. even – so you, you make those kinds of recommendations to people is you're helping them identify where the triggers are, and then you're basically helping them re-engineer their environment and their routine so that it will be in support of the health changes they're trying to make. Is that a good way to think about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the rules I have when people start out with my approach to keto, you know, I weave in the psychology as well as the nutrition piece. And one of the rules is that I want them to avoid any of the five sensory inputs of former really high carb foods that were their favorites, right? So um, th because any of those things can trigger cravings yep. and cravings are really hard to get rid of once they're started. Yep. So, you know, and this is the approach I took in the very beginning of my keto approach to help myself be more successful is I knew these things would increase cravings. So I avoided looking at food, which means like stop watching cooking shows on TV, which I love to watch before. Stop walking through the bakery section at the grocery store. Um, stop looking at recipes all day long and fantasizing about like making desserts and things like that. Um, 
you know, the scent part is, you know, a little easier, but maybe, you know, in the beginning, like not going to the movie theater where you smell the buttery popcorn or, yep. or going to the bakery where you can smell all those things. You know, the feeling of it's a little easier to avoid because most people aren't just going out and touching, uh, you know, donuts and things like that. But, you know, the other one is, what am I missing? Taste. If you're not eating it, you're not going to be tasting those things. Yep. But along those lines, sometimes people think like, well, I'll just chew it up and then spit it out. Like that's yep. actually a thing people think they can get away with. Yeah. So avoiding even sweet tasting things in the very beginning, I find is really powerful to help people break those habits as well. Yeah. Um, what am I missing? What's the other sensory one? Sights that will feeling, smelling. What did I miss? I don't know. I think we got most of them. <laughs> uh, sight. Oh, sound. Sound. Yeah. I missed the sound, right? So don't go listen, listen to popcorn popping or something like that, for example. Yeah. You know, the, the, big, the big ones are the, the seeing things, right? Because that's the one that people spent, can do in so many different ways. Like yep. so many people start out like looking at Pinterest all day long and, and looking at food and looking through recipes and things like that. So. So you're working a lot with people on understanding their own biology, their own psychology, their own habits. You, you, you go out and you do research on how to do a ketogenic diet and people will tell you how to calculate your macros and give you different recommendations ad nauseum. There's 8 billion different opinions on everything, but nobody is helping you understand the psychology of eating. Right. And I think that's a super critical part of this. So especially when you're dealing with people who have struggled for years or decades, I yeah. think just educating them on how your brain works and letting them make the association. Oh, okay. I need to avoid these certain trigger things, at least initially. Once you get into ketosis for the first time, I know that the first time I did it and I was using the blood meter just to make sure it was harder than I thought first and foremost. But that first time I've never had more control over my appetite mm. in my entire yeah. life. Yeah. And, my, and you could have put my favorite comfort food in front of me and I would have complete mastery over my self-regulation. I had never experienced that level of self-control before, but that's what happens when the brain, I, I'm assuming, has flipped over to start burning ketones as fuel. And I just, I have complete, and, and that's something that I've obviously over the last two years have been on and off and just different life circumstances. but. Once you get clients there for the first time, are you seeing the same thing where they're like, wow, I feel like I have control over my appetite for the first time ever? Yes, for the most part, they do get, you know, a really good hold on that, though. A lot of the people that I'm working with because of the degree of insulin resistance and, you know, the continuum of food addiction that's going on, yep. they might have to be even more diligent, right? So, Got it. Um, you know, there's a portion of them that say like, yeah, this stuff is in front of me and I have no desire to eat it. Yep. For a lot of them though, it's, it's more about that gives them that pause, that gap. Right. So yep. um, let me explain what I mean by that is that, you know, it used to be before it was like they were just eating something and they had no awareness of like a craving, a want, desire, and even, yep. you know, starting to eat it. It was just like, I'm eating this again and I don't even have an awareness of it. Whereas Mind, mind, mindlessly. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that habit loop and that dopamine conditioning was so strong. It was just not even a choice. Yeah. Um, it's compulsion that they had to follow. follow. And so with, with keto, it, it gives them enough of a gap where they can recognize like, wow, that looks good. I want to eat that, but I don't have that compulsion. Like I, I now feel like I have a choice. Same. Um, yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I've noticed too, is the longer that they go with it, 
even occasionally if they indulge or maybe they, 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 press, they press the limits of how many carbohydrates their body can tolerate, they still have that like, that didn't feel so good. And I want to go back to that baseline keto, whereas before it was just this spiral of like, well, I ate that, I'm done, I'm, you know, gain all the weight back and more. And then next year, I can't figure out what to do. So the longer they stick with it, the better they get at navigating those little twists and turns and, and uh, you know, mistakes or, or you know, purposeful um, indulgences. They actually get the power to come back on track a lot easier than they did with anything else they've done. Yeah, I guess also a relevant topic here would, would then be neuroplasticity, which is retraining behaviors that are, that are healthful. And that comes with repeated practice. We are what we repeatedly do. And so yes. we, have, we have habits that we want to change that have been ingrained over years. And the neuroplasticity of it is helping people form new habits, like taking a different direction home from work. And they get home and they start feeling good about themselves, that they made those decisions. And, and you can rewire the brain for, for positive reinforcement as well. So I guess there's a do you ever, neuroplasticity, I think, comes into this a lot fixing habits we want to change and then creating new ones neurons that fire together wire together that was the <laughs> moniker that was taught to us so helping okay. people wire new habits yeah i mean you can certainly make new habits right it ends up being these these uh really hardwired you know on the on the spectrum of addiction food habits that people have had they kind of never go away they're always lurking behind the surface yep you know, kind of like somebody who's in recovery for alcohol or drugs, yep. um, there's always a chance that they can relapse. So sure. some, some of the, the people I'm working with, uh, most of them have these hardwired addiction type um, habits with food that they're always there and there's no way to actually erase those. You just have to be diligent that you're building these new habits and yep. that you're avoiding the triggers that are going to make you fall back and ha and into those habits. Um, the biggest risk people have for relapse is actually stress. Yep. So when we're under a lot of stress, which face it, life happens, stress always pops up, right? It's always yep. going to be something that's going to come up. When yep. somebody's under a really stressful situation, that is the biggest risk because then the brain just goes on autopilot and you fall back into these old habits. And so that's why, you know, so, you know, something really stressful comes up. Maybe it's somebody's health scare or a family member or something. They get fired Work from situations, whatever, any number of things. Yeah. And and then that, all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I can't stop eating whatever. Or like, I'm craving it so bad now. And I thought I'd escape that. Like what's going on? So that's another piece of what I work people with them is let's, let's create these new habits. Let's create these skills and techniques to help you, your body deal with stress in a more healthful way. And so that you've got these skills on board to deal with stress before it comes up because the last time you need to practice meditation if you've never done meditation is when you're stressed out right um, so it doesn't have to be meditation but I, I help people kind of identify what are the things that help them feel relaxed despite stressors going on and then how do you bring that into your life in a regular way so that you've got that skill that your body can be relaxed despite the stressor so that you're not triggering those old habits yeah that's a huge one managing stress and how it affects our ability to self-regulate and whatever the stress could come from just poor sleep quality it could come from emotional situations at work I know that in my own life I maybe about 10 years ago I started learning meditation for the first time and that helped me develop an awareness of thoughts and how that leads to action and starting to just 
watch the thought process with my eyes closed and see things come up and not react to them. And that was a huge, it's something I still use to this day. And then they also introduced this concept of, of mindful eating. Mm -hmm. And that's also an exercise. I remember in the meditation class, they gave everybody uh, raisins and you had to put the raisin, you had to close your eyes and put the raisin in your mouth. And they would go through an exercise where you like, felt for the texture and you felt yeah. for the flavor and then you, and then he, then you bit into it and, and, and it was just one raisin and yeah. you realize how mindlessly we eat food. We're not paying attention to any of it. Yeah. And so mindful eating is, is also, I think a technique that you can use meditation. What are some of the other ones you use to help people with the stress aspect? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm thinking about your integration with the aura ring. I really want one of those because it measures heart rate variability, variability which is, yeah which is a, me a quantitative, quantitative measure of actually how resilient your, your body is to stress or your, you know, your, is it the sympathetic nervous system is to, or yep. I forget which one. Are uh, you using the, uh, heart rate variability with clients? No, I'm not, but I would love to get an aura ring to try it out. Mm -hmm. um, I have in the past done um, heart math. I don't know yep. if you're familiar with that or uh -huh. not, but I've got that uh, years ago when I had a clinical practice, um, I would work with my clients with that in a clinical setting because I had it on my computer then. But they do have portable machines, and I've recommended to some clients. I don't actually like have a specific protocol that I put everybody on for that. Yep. It's more tailored to what people like and like and fits their lifestyle, right? So you know, the things I'll explore with people are, you know, what are some things that bring you joy, help you feel calm and peace that fit in with your lifestyles and likes, right? So it could be yoga or walking or being with your pets. Meditation is the one that people most commonly think about. Could just be some really easy breathing techniques. It could be just looking at pictures of your favorite place or location or vacation place, right? So mm -hmm. like you were talking about that the uh, the brain can't tell the difference between what we vividly imagine, what we're feeling and what's actually happening. And so if people can literally take like a vacation, like a mental vacation, and yep. just look at photos of their favorite place that they like to go on vacation, that can be enough to bring them back down to that relaxed state. And they can then, you know, you can actually look at the photos and then you can imagine looking at the photos and you can uh, start to bring up that state really quickly if you're if you practice that enough, right? So yep. that's just some of the examples. There's a lot of, uh, you know, essential oils might be one too. Sometimes people have favorite scents. I do for sure. Yeah, there's, I've recently just started working a lot with actually like smudging, for example, okay. Palo Santo is like my favorite thing in the world to burn. Ah. Incense, Nag Champa, sage. I love that stuff. It's, okay. it's something that I find very relaxing that I'll do just in the evenings as I'm getting ready for bed. I do wear the aura ring and it does give you your heart rate variability score in the morning, which is extremely helpful. Yeah. And you can then start to correlate HRV scores with what you did the day or the night before. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of the things like alcohol and other, other extracurriculars are, they tank your HRV. So <laughs> sometimes ignorance is bliss. Let's just say that. But you, but we'll you just call those hormetic stress stressors then. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But you can start <laughs> to figure out exactly what works for yourself and you yeah. can start to see the numbers come up. Some people are like having that quantification aspect of it. Some don't. I'm sure you see that with your clients. Some are yeah. oriented to data and some not at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, when you talk about this whole psychology of eating thing, it's like one of the challenges we face in our society is that... Food companies have the ability to go get 
people who understand our reward circuitry and our neurochemistry better than we do. And so it's like, they know exactly. I mean, Rob Wolf talked about this in his book, hyper palatable foods that are so intense for our reward circuit. I mean, these scientists know everything about the dopamine reward system, about how to hack our brain basically to make this food as compelling or addictive. That's what we're up against here. People who who know our thoughts and, and our, and understand neuropsychology and neurochemistry and neuroscience and advertising around all of, I mean, that's what we have to defend ourselves against. It's freaking yeah. hard. Yeah, it's crazy that people don't know or understand or acknowledge, like not, most of the healthcare providers don't know this, that food manufacturers employ scientists that know more about the chemistry of cravings and habits and you know appetite regulation that any nutritionist or uh, palatability of food like what combination of like sugar and salt is like going to maximize this thing like wow that was incredible yeah so there's there's a lot of really great books on this too if people want to know and like usually you have a recommendation you could uh, make salt salt sugar fat is one of them uh Mm -hmm. michael michael moss i think yeah i'll Uh, check it out there let's see there's a couple other ones that have been recently listening to i think it's the um well, Stephen Guillenay has one too. The um, hungry brain, I think, is what it's called. Yeah. And there, I'll have to give you a couple other ones that I've got, like on my um, my digital. Yeah, but it's, it's so hard. It's like, and first of all, then you you look at the way these organizations are financially incented, which which is based yeah. on quarterly yeah. earnings, and it's not yeah. based on like per capita weight gain or per capita yeah. uh, obesity or diabetes. I mean, that those are the those are the metrics that I think need to be measured against rather than 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 profit maximization but that's the system that we live in the challenge is that if i'm just a regular person and i'm just trying to make ends meet and i'm faced with marketing and products that are engineered toward my biology to make me eat as much of it as i possibly can or to make it as tempting or or as craving as i can man it's super hard out there for the average person yeah i mean kids kids even now more than anything Well, people don't realize that food manufacturers' sole goal is to sell as much food as possible. And when we've reached the saturation point in our society that we have now, where most people have plenty of food and they're eating three meals a day, it's like, well, the only way to make more money is to get people to eat more. Mm -hmm. And so they're incentivized to make more money by getting us to eat more food at every meal and eat more often fourth meal and snacks and, and sodas and drinks and all this stuff. And I've got a really ex- um, interesting um, experiment because you were talking about the mindful eating. And I used to do a lot of this education about, you know, what food manufacturers, how they're engineering these foods for us to eat too much of them. I used yep. to do a lot of that education in uh, former group programs I did in my practice. And one of the experiments I would do, I would do the mindful eating exercise you were talking about with like an almond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that was always really fun and eye opening for people, but I'd also do it with a Dorito corn chip. Nice. So for, for those of you that are, that are brave enough to eat one of those still these days, I challenge you to do this experiment. So okay, go. Let's, buy, let's buy a little tiny bag, throw the rest away. If, you, if you're you know, a keto dieter or yep. you're somebody who likes to biohack and challenge yourself Yeah. one chip. Okay. And you've got to do it really slowly. So put the whole chip in your mouth. And let it start to dissolve and really as slowly as possible chew that and notice the taste of it. 
It is the most disgusting thing you've ever eaten. The, the chip tastes like cardboard. It's not even a good tasting chip. It's like cardboard flavorless. Yep. Like the flavors like melt off really quickly and it doesn't taste good at all. And when I did that experiment with my clients, they realized they got it, that those chips are engineered to only taste good if you eat them fast. <laughs> taste good if you eat them fast. If you slow down and, and They're disgusting. eat them and savor them, they taste disgusting. So when they got that realization of like, they made these to taste good, so I would keep eating them, right? Yeah. That's the way most snack foods are made. They're not really delicious if you savor them and eat them slowly. Uh, so that's a, that's a really eye-opening experience for people to realize like, that's a cool way of doing mind, the mindful eating exercise. It's like you yeah. have the almond and then you have this, this Dorito there and you, you start to realize <laughs> yeah. what, a, what, a, what a completely synthetic food actually tastes yes. like when you're actually mindfully aware of what it is that you're eating and tasting. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. So share some other tips that you use with clients, Carol, or, or some of your best practices that people who are out there and starting keto and, and, going on, falling on and off the wagon, totally a normal part. I've been doing yeah. that for two and a half years. Yeah. I've got, I, I, admittedly, I've gotten better about getting back on because I do like to indulge. I, I don't have a problem eating junk food once in a while. I don't struggle with, with it that much, but it does mm -hmm. take me three or four days to like get my blood sugar back down right where I like it and yeah. get my brain back to the point where I'm in that optimal zone where I have my, my mastery over food. So it's, it's a, it's a yo-yo even for me, but I do that consciously because sometimes I just choose to. Yeah. So I've gotten better at it. And for me, that seems to work, but share some of your other, maybe it's around the psychology of it, aspect of it. Maybe it's around some of the tips you recommend to people. I mean, you've, you've been working with people for so long, you, you've got some, some great tips to share. So anything that we haven't covered that you really think would be helpful to share here? Yeah, I mean, one of the ones related to what you're talking about with the, you know, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people, big friend circle, and I've got people that are like, I keep trying to do keto, but I keep falling off the bandwagon. And they ask me like, well, what motivates you? Like, how do you stick with it? Like, how do you stick with it? And so yeah. one of the things that I work with my clients on is, is something that I call, you know, your why with capital letters mm -hmm. de and developing that and fine tuning it and watching that as you go through your journey. So what so I'm tying it back to, to something in life that, that is very important to you. Yeah, and, and really, you know, I do this when I talk to people before I enroll them to work with me is that I talk about like, well, why do you want this? Why is this so important to you? And most of the time people just say, well, I want to lose weight. Yeah. Um, but we dive in even deeper. Like, so all the health symptoms that you've got right now, like, okay, so more than the weight, like, why do you want to lose the weight? What does that even mean? And usually yeah. there's a whole bunch of things related to that as well. Yep. So we're writing that down. I have them track that from the very beginning. And it's almost know, like so a life coaching aspect of it. As much as yeah, it is about yeah. the diet and the food and all of that stuff, it, it becomes about you and your life. Yeah. And it, it became really clear to me that this was an important part of helping people stick with it. When I had a client very early on when I was doing keto work where, you know, after 30 days of a ketogenic diet, she lost nine pounds. Um, she'd been suffering with fibromyalgia pain for five years. And this was the first time in, five years she'd been pain-free and on and on and on all these great benefits that she'd had and I was like yay it works you know and you know a couple months later I checked back in with her and I'm like oh, I can't wait to hear how much better she's doing now and a few months yeah. later and she was like yeah you know I didn't really stick with it because it didn't make much difference and you know I didn't think it was really worth it and I was like she forgot and so I found like the message that she'd sent me about you know the weight loss and how much better and pain-free yeah. and everything and I sent it back to her and I said 
you forgot. Do you remember telling me this? And she says, oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. And she yeah. says, okay, that was a big transformation. So I realized that not only do people need to make this list in the beginning, but they need to reflect on it all of the time. And so yeah. the process for me was I was blogging and I, I came out of an extremely unhealthy, um, you know, after a car accident, brain injury, crush injury, pain syndrome in my legs. Like I was in a really bad place. So the, the difference for me was really dramatic. Yeah. By the way, I cataloged it was a, I was blogging in the beginning every month and I kept a personal journal every day as well in the beginning. Uh, for the first year, I took a, every day a, a, a journal entry. Oh, that's on my laptop. I should, I really mm. need to try to salvage this laptop that died. But anyway, so that would be a good thing to pull up. But anyway, so cataloging that and, and not only noticing what's getting better, but reflect on how bad you felt before and keeping that top of mind as far as like, I don't want to go back to the way that I felt before. Yep. So that's one way. Another way is living your keto life very publicly so that people, yeah. you've got a lot of accountability, right? So sure. um, I share my food on Instagram. Like, you know, I, I, you know, in certain circles, well known for what I'm doing, all my friends know, right? So when I go out to eat, like they're keeping an eye on me, like they're going to see yeah. if I'm, you know, not following that. But I've also got some health things that if I go off track, they crop back up you yeah. know, for me as well. So that keeps me on track. So there's a lot of different ways of doing that. I encourage people to, you know, kind of dive in and, and, but another really big one is community, right? So being around other people that are doing the same thing also helps you stay on track. So you don't feel like you're the oddball. Uh, another one is making it part of who you are. Like people say, I'm a vegan, right? They don't like eat bacon and steak occasionally and cheat. Like they're a vegan as part of who they are. Like they their just identity. don't do that because it's not yep. part of their identity. Right. So if you identify as a, ketonian or a keto diet or whatever phrase you want to call it and re just really feel that as a core of who you are that'll make it easier than to stay on on track as well so that's cool so tell us carol we're coming from, uh, well we've got plenty of time here but i'd love to learn about how you you start with a client because it seems like you really do a lot of the work up front to understand the why who this person is where they're coming from Something that, that maybe these people have never really been asked before, a lot of them, someone who really listens at that level and, and ingrains that into the protocol that you're going to use. So yeah. give us just an overview of how you work with clients and, and get them onto your system and work with them through, through the program. Yeah, I mean, the first step is they've got to actually fill out an application online and mm -hmm. they're going to tell me their, their health goals or struggles, you know, you know, what diets they've tried in the past, kind of weight loss goals and you know, some, you know, kind of like intake, maybe you'd, you'd have at a regular nutritionist office or something mm -hmm. like that. First of all, I want to, you know, I screen those applications to make sure they're a fit for who I'm really good at working with. And mm -hmm. so, you know, somebody who's looking for a quick fix or somebody who just has like five pounds to lose or somebody who's actually wanting to get, you know, a lot of muscles. We know who to refer the, the, the muscle gains people to, right? So, yeah, um, Tyler and Luis over there, yeah, keto gains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So, yep. you know, if somebody's already pretty lean or, um, also, I don't, I don't really work with people that have like cancer, epilepsy, or, you know, Alzheimer's dementia. I'll refer those. I have other people I'll refer them to do. So, yep. you know, so there's a screening process there first. And then the next step is that I invite them on a, a phone call with me. And I, right now I'm doing, you know, individual phone calls. I'm going to be moving soon to a format where we have a small group of people at the same time that all are starting at the same time. That's awesome. Cause you're, you're getting a tribe right out of the, right out yeah. of the gate. You're getting, yeah. you're getting people that are going to go through it with you, which is awesome. Yeah. And that's how I work with people anyways, is that, you know, we, like I was talking about that community of other people that are doing it at the same time really works mm -hmm. really well. So that's, 
that's what I'm moving towards because I've right now, frankly, I've got so many people that want to work with me. I don't even have enough time. Like it's a three week wait to get on these phone calls with me. And so I'm, I'm working in a way of like, how can I help more people at, at sooner rather than having to wait that long to talk we to need, me? So on the phone you. call then and what the, we need, so the we need to clone you. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm working on some cl clinician training as well. But yeah, so, so that's part two. You get people connected with the group. And then I know that you have uh, an educational series that follows from there, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm asking people, you know, why do they want this? What are their obstacles? So we're mm -hmm. identifying like what's kept you from follow, you know, following through on this. And um, yeah, and then, you know, once they're working with me, the primary way that I work with people is a very comprehensive program. I've included everything that I found people need to get the results that they really want, both the shortest, the fastest short-term results, but then that long-term stickiness of a, a habit change, right? So it's mm -hmm. a combination of a, a, a nine-week comprehensive training program that they go through that not only talks about the nutrition, but also the psychology of cravings and habit change, as well as then my support along the way in group format and email and Facebook and a lot of different formats that way. So Cool. And get them tracking with Heads Up Health. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. Well, they get lots, of, lots of bonuses that they get along with that as well. Yeah. Cool. You know, that I, I made a note here to ask you about this question when you were explaining your program, and, and that's the question of supply versus demand when it comes mm -hmm. to qualified press. Yeah. I've seen you yeah. post on Facebook how much bad advice is out there when it comes to going yes. keto. Oh. It's a mess. And there's a very finite amount of people who know how to do this properly and have yeah. the experience and the training. And yet there's epidemic levels of metabolic-related disorders. So the, the human coaching aspect of it clearly cannot scale, especially when this is not just part of mainstream academia or, or, or health training. So it's hard for people, and, and a lot of people have to go, because they may not even have the financial means, they have to cobble it together themselves and figure it out themselves. That's how, that's how I had to do it. So I, how do we scale this? How do we scale qualified practitioners? Are you seeing anything out there that, that's starting to look at this way of scaling expertise? Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got Verna Health, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's doing that. And then we've got the Heal Care Clinics by Dr. Dr. Westman. Yep. Um, although, um, I, I think so. I, originally, I thought they were doing the insurance model, but I've talked to somebody recently, and they're doing a cash pay. Westman? Yeah, the heel care clinics are now um, going to be a cash pay. That's program. cool. So there um, are organizations bringing this out and making it available. I know Verda just published some of their results uh, working with type 2 diabetes. I think they just closed another $45 million in funding. So clearly the results are working. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's awesome. And, and they're, they're bringing the scientific rigor to it, which I think is equally important. Yeah. Do you have any ideas that is that they accept insurance for those services? I haven't looked into that much, but um, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's delivered through the insurance provider. I believe you can also sign up directly as an individual. It's been, it's been probably six or eight months since I looked at it, but okay. it yeah, that's great. You, you still have a pretty hefty copay is my understanding to okay. get access to the training, but nonetheless, they're doing it in a way that is able to allow them to scientifically validate. They've published some of their results recently on their website. I look at what we're doing at Heads Up Health as kind of like coming into the market at a lower point where our, our service is like 59 bucks a year and we give you the tools to track it yourself. You may not get access to this highly qualified professional to, to work with you one-on-one, -on -one, but we can scale out and just give people 
the tools to measure it. We as Heads Up Health don't tell you how to do it. All we can do is give you the ways to measure it and figure out if you're doing it properly and if it's working. So that's how we come into it. But it's good. I'm very familiar with Eric Westman's work and also with Berta's work. So hopefully we start to see more organizations. In fact, uh, Dorian from Keto Mojo and I just, we got approached by a medical facility in, in the Los Angeles area. They're, they're doing clinical trials now on keto for brain cancer. So this is a, a, a mainstream conventional chemotherapy centers that are now starting to realize, wow, this is very effective as a therapy. So hopefully it just starts to get more acceptance and it can be available to more people and they can learn how to do it properly instead of going on Facebook. And admittedly, these groups are incredibly helpful because there's, yeah. there's very helpful, well-intentioned people there, but it can be overwhelming. I basically just had to cobble it together myself and trial and error and testing. So anyhow, scaling it, I think, is, is the point and how do we do that so it's, people can do it properly. Well, this has been awesome. I think what I'd love to do, Carol, is, I don't know, were the KetoCon presentations last year made available online? Yeah, I've actually got mine published on my um, Facebook, or not Facebook, my uh, YouTube channel. Okay, we'd, we'd love to get all of your recommended resources around dealing okay. with, with the psychology of eating and habit change and reward because I think that can be incredibly valuable information. We haven't ever talked about it on this show. I see very few people actually bringing up this important topic. That's why I yes. wanted you to explain it to us. So we'll put all of your recommended resources together for people. Okay. Follow these notes. Great. Yeah, I'll try to rack my brain about it. I've got a lot of books on my shelf, but I've got a lot of my Kindle, so I'll see how many of those I can come up with. Uh, another really great one is... Um, Mindless Eating by Brian Wanzig is uh, cool. another one, too. That, actually, Mindless. that one I got during school. So, uh, Well, I'm hoping I see you at Paleo FX, and we hit some after parties and drink some dry farm <laughs> wines. If not, I'm hoping to see you in Austin, Texas for KetoCon. Other than that, we're always in, uh, in, in yeah. touch online. So it yes. was an honor to have you, and thank you for sharing this, this extremely helpful information. Yeah. And let's find another opportunity to do this again soon. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's Friday at 4.30 p.m. here on the West Coast, so I guess we can we can close out here, and the weekend is upon us then, isn't it? Yes, it's well, it's lucky th Friday the 13th, too, so. Cool. All right, thanks, Carol. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for okay. having me on. Bye. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 